0: Let's have a word of prayer and prepare our hearts to hear what he's going to bring to us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for making it uh, available to us that we can read it, we can understand it through your Holy Spirit, we can believe it through the work that you've done in our hearts, and we can live it. And as believers in Christ, there's one part of life especially we need help with, and that is the courage to go forth and share the gospel. So many times it's simply because we don't know what to say. And I pray that this time to get together this morning, like these previous times, would be very beneficial to all of us. Uh, give us that boldness. And give us the direction so that we can serve you well, we pray. Pray your blessing upon Dr. Moyer as he shares. Uh, open our hearts, Lord, and help us to follow and understand and to Do it, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, good morning again. Having been with you people in 1978 and then 86, then in 09, and now this year, I've been very encouraged by those who have said to me, you have not aged a year. One person said that to me, (laughs) and they're my friend for life. Well, it's such a delight to have this time with you. But this morning, I want to talk from a paragraph that I am convinced. I've stayed this book for 49 years in evangelism. I don't know of any paragraph that sums it all up any better than the one we're going to look at right now in three essentials in relationship with non-Christians. So as you turn with me to Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 to 6, I want you to leave again not just knowing what I said, but knowing what God said at first. So follow me in your Bible or in that notebook. The passage is there also in the screen in front of you. So that you know where I'm saying what I'm saying and where I'm saying it from. Colossians chapter four, two to six, as we talk about three essentials in your relationship with non-Christians. Follow me as I begin reading there, verse two, Colossians four. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God will open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of pride for which I am also in chains. That I may make it manifest as ought to speak. Walk in wisdom for those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with the grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. A pastor who one time minister in a remote area of Kentucky decided to give a series of messages on the subject of evangelism. And as he did, he reminded the people Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that evangelism is not done by something, it's done by someone. One man was so touched by his messages, he decided by the grace of God, he had to talk to a lost person about Christ. But since the area was remote and the people were few and far between, the only ones he could think of were an elderly man and his wife who lived way back in the hills of Kentucky. It's one of those couples that many have spoken about, but none have ever spoken to. But sensing that that man needed Christ as badly as any man did, he stuck in a new in his pocket, a sandwich in his saddlebag, and he headed by horseback for the elderly man's cabin. When he got there, he found the man outside, cutting his supply of wood for the winter. And although the man seemed delighted to see a new face, the believer had no idea how to begin a conversation about Christ other than to plow right into it. So he looked at the man and said, Sir, can you tell me, are you a Christian? And the man said, No, I think you have the wrong cabin. Mr. Miss Christian, they about three miles further back in the mountains. And the believer said, No, you don't understand. Well, I'm trying to find out is, Are you saved? And the man said, Saved? I'm not even lost. I've lived in these mountains for over 50 years. I know where cow path there is in the country. And the believer said, No, you still don't understand. Well, I am trying to find out is, are you ready for the judgment day? And the unbeliever said, well, when's it going to be? And the believer was a little bit surprised by the question said, well, I don't know. I guess it could be today or it could be tomorrow. At which time the man said, well, please, son, don't breathe a word to my wife because she'll want to go both days. If you have spent any time talking to unbelievers, you have run into all kinds of problems. There are those who don't have any time for spiritual things. And every time you step towards the conversation, they step away. Then there's still other time to talk to people about Christ. And you're no more than five minutes in the conversation. And they say, now, wait a minute. Don't talk to me about the religious stuff. My neighbor says he's a Christian. And the only narrative it is like It's 11 to 12 on a Sunday morning. I figure that's Christianity. I'm a lot better off the way I am. Then there's still other time to talk about others, somebody about Christ. And it's quite obvious. They try to make a fool out of you and treat you like you're an idiot. See, you prove to them your mind is sharper and your tongue is faster. So just as they ask you questions, you could not answer. You ask them questions, they could not answer. Just as they try to make a fool out of you, you try to make a fool out of them. As only matter of time, you realize you have not had a conversation about Christ. You've had a full fledged argument that demands an apologies. It's only a matter of time, out of fear and frustration, discouragement and disgust. You throw up your end up in the air and you say, how in the world do you reach non-Christians? Well, I'm convinced to miss that personal problem. Paul the Apostle gives a very personal solution. Because after talking to the family about how to live together in a home, after talking to the workers about how to live for Christ in a job, he tells all of us how to live with people in the street. And when I read this paragraph, I become confused. Sometimes I feel like he's trying to give a testimony about the needs in his life. And sometimes I feel like he's trying to preach a sermon about the needs in my life. But I'm not confused about what he's saying. Because while Paul the Apostle was saying this paragraph, when it comes to our relationship with non-Christians, there are three essentials on the part of every one of us. And the essential he begins with is the one where we put the least emphasis And he puts the most, because he gives three times as much space to the first essential as he does the other two. And the first thing he says is, pray properly. If you notice, he says in verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. What he is saying is, prayer ought to come from your life. Like water from a drifting faucet. Pray when you get up, pray an hour after you're up. Pray when you're to the field, pray when you're home. Pray before work, pray after work. Pray before dinner, and pray after dinner. But make it a habit to give yourself the prayer. And prayer ought to come from your life like water compliment drifting faucet. Pray when you get up, pray an hour after you're up. Pray before lunch, pray after lunch. But make it a habit to give yourself a prayer to give yourself the prayer, and do it in spirit of thanksgiving. Whenever I read that kind of system of prayer, I'm always reminded of the boy who always wanted a baby brother. And Dad said to him, son, the only way you get anything is you got to ask God for it. So if you want a baby brother, you've got to ask God for one. So morning, noon, and night, the boy prayed. He prayed before breakfast. He prayed after breakfast. He prayed before lunch. He prayed after lunch. He prayed before football practice. He prayed after football practice. He prayed right to school and way right home. There was never an hour he did not pray. But after one week of praying, he still did not have his baby brother. And so he said, this is obviously not doing any good. So he stopped praying after one week. Nine months later, dad came to him and said, son, your mom's going to the hospital. And I have a feeling when she comes home, she'll have God to answer your prayers in her arms. Mother went to the hospital and she came home. And sure enough, she did not have one baby brother in her arms. She had two uh, beautiful set of twins. And the father wanted to drive lesson home and I said, No, son, aren't you glad you prayed the way you did? And the boy said, Yeah, Dad. But aren't you glad I stopped when I did? <laughs> he is saying, You ought to pray for the attitude that says, Aren't you glad I stopped when I did? But then he did want to mention one thing you ought to pray for your relationship and non-Christians. And that is a door of opportunity. Look at verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word. And that phrase, a door for the word means a door of opportunity. Now, when Paul the Apostle wrote this paragraph, he was writing it as a prisoner of the Roman Empire, handcuffed the Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And there's no doubt in my mind, Paul the Apostle, had the chance to share Christ in prison. I promise you, if I was an unsaved Roman guard, the last thing I would want is to be chained to Paul the Apostle for 24 hours a day. I could see him looking at me and saying, look, since the two of us have a chance to do some bonding, <laughs> may I ask you a question I've asked other people I've been chained to? At the same time, he does not want to be living a walls or prison. So he said, pray, think of it, it's himself and associates, he says. Pray for a door of opportunity, as he says in verse 4, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul wanted to make it obvious to everybody that Christ death on the cross was the only basis for right standing with God. And therefore he said, pray that God will give a door of opportunity. And the first thing is that he says is pray properly. And when someone comes to me and they say, we want so much to talk to Sozo souls about Christ, but the opportunity is never there. One of the first questions I ask me is, have you asked God to give the opportunity? Because nowhere in that book am I ever told to open a door for the gospel. It's God's job to open it. It's my job to walk through it. And he says, pray properly. Pray that God will give a door of opportunity. And i always remind people, that door might come a lot quicker than you ever thought it would. As I mentioned in the earlier session, we have a son who's now 40 years old teaching in Florida. But he was about four or five years old when he decided if his dad would be an evangelist, then he would be one too. He had a people person who's never met a stranger, and he is very intelligent. Now, I can say that, and nobody can accuse me of bragging, because our son is adopted. In fact, one day, some friends of ours said to us, your son is so intelligent, you can tell he's adopted. But for that reason, <laughs> he woke walk- but well, for that reason, he walked walk up to anyone, anywhere and say, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? And one day, he and my wife were visiting the neighbor who lives right behind us, and David whispered to Tammy, is she a Christian? Tammy whispered back, Daddy and I don't know. We've been asking God for an opportunity to find out. David decided this was his day of opportunity. <laughs> she looked to her and said, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? She said, well, Jesus Christ. He said, Christ plus works for Christ alone. And she looked at him and she said, would you please explain what it means to be born again? And Tammy led her to Jesus. He's saying, pray properly. Pray for a door of opportunity to recognize. That door might come a lot faster than you ever thought it would. Pray properly. Ask God to give a door of opportunity. Because once he opens the door, it's your job to walk through it. But he opens it and you walk through it. Pray properly. But then he can only mention the second essential because sometimes what hinders us in our relationship with non-Christians is the life we live around them. Nietzsche, who years ago was famous for proclaiming God is dead, one time made the comment, show me birth that you're redeemed and I'll listen to you talk about your Redeemer. And the reason there are so many callous unbelievers is there are too many careless believers. So having said pray properly, he then says, live properly. Look what he said in verse 5. Walk in wisdom for those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now, by the term walk, he's not referring the way you walk to the breakfast table, the way you from the table to breakfast table, his entire manner of living. He's saying, walk in wisdom. That word wisdom means common good sense. The kind God gives the people who ask him for it. I like to use the illustration of the man who lived at the top of a high mountain. And the only way to top that mountain was by means of horses and stagecoach. And the man needed a driver for a stagecoach. He put an ad in the paper, and three different men applied. At one point on the road, there was a tight spot with a cliff on the one side and a walled rock on the other. And if he decided decide who should get the job, he'd have all of them ride to the top of that mountain. The first driver came to that tight spot and he said, if I'm going to get the job, I have to prove I can handle these horses right close to the edge of that cliff. And he brought them within 18 inches of the edge of that cliff. Second man came along and he said, if I'm going to get the job, I have to prove I can do better than the first guy. And he brought those horses within 12 inches of the edge of that cliff. Third man came along and he said, if I'm going to get the job, I've got to prove I can handle the horses. But job or no job, there's no way I'm bringing those horses close to the edge of that cliff. That is not very wise. And after they'd all competed, man during the hiring said to three people, I'm convinced the thing I need most in a stagecoach driver is good common sense. He looked at the third man and he said, you've got the job. He said, walk in common sense towards those who don't know the Lord Then he said, redeeming the time. That word redeeming the time means buying up the opportunity. Look at moments in your life as moments of opportunity. Live around unsaved people in such a way that will drive them close to the cross, not away from it. That your life ought to always be a help to your message. It ought never be a hindrance. Walk in common good sense for those that don't know the Lord, while being in time, buying up every opportunity to influence them for Christ. That your life ought to always push people forward, and all ever push them backward. Walk in common good sense for those who don't know the Lord, buying up every opportunity to influence them for Christ. Napoleon one time made the comment: "So the reason he defeated the Austrians is because they never learned the value of five minutes." He said, "Learn the value of five minutes. Walk in common good sense for those who don't have met, not not met the Savior." buying up every opportunity to influence them for Christ. One time, I was coming back from Mississippi, on what was then Republic Airlines. Men man next to me worked for Republic Airlines. And I turned the conversation to personal things. I said, has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? He said, no, they haven't. I said, may I? He said, no. I said, well, I appreciate your honesty. How I showed you from the Bible, I was showing you, first of all, you know you're a sinner. The Bible says all of us have sinned and short of the glory of God. And I went through the entire rhythm with him for 40 minutes. So afterwards, I said, let me ask you something. Didn't mind me talking about it, but didn't want me to show it to you. Why? He took a big sigh. He said, years ago, I Christian was a hypocrite. So I threw out the whole thing. I said, I want to ask you something. I said, you work for Republic Airlines, right? He said, that's right. I said, this is a public flight, right? He said, that's right. I said, do you know why I took it? He said, no, why? I said, well, one reason, obviously, was they fit my schedule and my needs. But second reason is, they have given me good service. In fact, they have given me such good service, if I met one of your people who did not, I would not throw out the airlines. And I don't think you have any business without Christ. Because you met one guy didn't live the life. He says, that's a powerful thought. I promise you, I'll start thinking seriously about Christ. Now, he had no right to throw out Christ because a one guy did not live the life. But neither do we have any right to not live around unsaved people in such a way that draws them close to the cross and not away from it. He says, walk in common good sense for those that don't know the Lord, buying up every opportunity to influence them for Christ. He's saying, live properly. For years, there was a man who was very antagonistic to Christ. But then he came to know him. True story. He attributed his conversion to a neighbor who was awfully timid. neighbor was surprised. He said, I never even spoke to you about Christ the way I should have. And the man said, no, you didn't. But you lived me to death. I could refute their arguments. I could upset their logic. But I could not refute the way you live. He's saying, "Live." properly. Walk in common good sense for those that don't know the Lord buying up every opportunity to influence them for Christ. He's saying live properly. But then he's going to mention a third essential because sometimes what hinders us a relationship with non-Christians is the way we use our tongue. Socrates one time said to one of his pupils I've got to teach you two sciences. The one is how to hold your tongue. The others, how to use it. If you're going to be effective among believers, you got to know how to use your tongue. But you also got to know how to hold it. So, having said, pray properly and live properly, he then says, speak properly. And look what he said there in verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, Seize with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That word grace means, Let her have a graciousness about it, a pleasantness about it. One time, a woman went to see the doctor, and the doctor wanted to know if she had gone to see anyone else before coming to see him. And she said, No, but I did go to see my pharmacist. And he said, And what kind of stupid advice did he give you? And she said, He told me to come see you. (laughs) Now, sometimes we smile, but sometimes our language is categorized, that kind of is that kind of frankness. Then he says, Let it be seasoned with salt. Now I think the reason he thought of that analogy is that close to Colossie there was a salt lake. And salt as it's used in the Bible has a twofold purpose. On the one hand, it increases an appetite because it renders something tasty. On the other hand, it acts as a preservative and makes something wholesome. So what he's saying is, cultivate the gift of pleasant, wholesome conversation that you might know how you to answer each one. Speak properly. Cultivate the gift of present wholesome conversation. You might know how to answer each one. Now, that does not mean you cannot be direct where you have to be correct. You cannot confront where you have to confront. If you know anything about former heavyweight Muhammad Ali, you know he never, ever struggled with his self-image. He was convinced it's hard to be humble when you're so great. And <laughs> one time, he was on a plane flight. As the plane was about to take off, the flight attendant said, please buckle your seatbelt. He looked at her and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she was so ticked off by his arrogance, she looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane, buckle up. <laughs> there are times you got to be direct. There are times you have to confront. What he said, there's, what he's saying is, there's never a time to be rude. There's never a time to be unkind. There's never a time to be sarcastic. Cultivate the gift of pleasant, and wholesome conversation, that you might know how to answer each one. In other words, your speech like your life, ought to work like salt in a person's life. It ought to give them an appetite for God, or strike them as being wholesome. Cultivate that gift, a pleasant, and wholesome conversation. That you might know how to answer each one. Maybe his problem will be that there's something in his past that he's very bitter against God about. Maybe there's something in that book he completely misunderstands. Maybe he's been turned off by the proxy of another Christian. He's saying, it doesn't matter. Just cultivate the gift of pleasant, wholesome conversation that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And you notice what the emphasis is. This is the way you ought to speak all the time. Look at what he said in verse six. Let your speech always be with grace, because you don't change the way you talk when non Christians come around. Instead, the way you talk to one another, with the way you talk to unsaved in particular. So could I ask you? What kind of reputation does your tongue have? To does it strike people with being terse? Does it strike them as being tender? Well, my favorite verse in the entire Bible is John 1.14 where it says, Christ was full of grace and truth. And in the family of evangelists I've met Christians who have a lot of grace but they've got no truth. I've been just as disturbed by Christians I've met who have truth but they have no grace. They don't know how to say what ought to be said. He said, Cultivate a gift of pleasant wholesome conversation that you may know high audience for each one. He's saying, speak properly. One time there was a minister who lived in the community who often spoke to his neighbors about Christ. But all of the time, neighbors responded in words that were both rude and unkind. Again, true story. Well, months later, the minister's son became very ill. What turned out to be a terminal disease. And shortly thereafter, the son died. Although it might sound hard to believe, right after the son died, those unsaved neighbors walked in the minister's house and he said to them, and they said to him, well, where's your God now? He looked to them very kindly, graciously, pleasantly, and with a wholesome attitude said, the same place he was when he lost his son. He says, Cultivate the gift, a pleasant, wholesome conversation, that you may now how you ought to answer, each one, he's saying, Speak properly. See, Paul in his book had already talked to people how lived together in a home and how workers are how lived together in a war job. But now he talks about ours always to live to people in the street. And Paul in this simple paragraph is saying there are three essentials. you got to pray properly. you got to live properly. And you got to speak properly. I tell people, don't think for one second because I've been a manager for 49 years. I know everything you know about unsaved people. About reaching unsaved people. But I do know there are three essential parts of every one of us. And that is pray properly, live properly, and work properly. I'm convinced if God asks any one of us, what are the most important essentials in your relationship with non-Christians? Read right about six books and say nothing. God takes six words. He says all, pray properly, live properly, and speak properly. And you'll forever impact those who have met the Savior and have no idea what they're missing. What are the three essential relationships with non-Christians? They are pray properly, live properly, speak properly. If the pastor were to ask you one week from today, what did Larry explain with the three essential relationships for non-Christians? What would you tell him? Pray properly, live properly, speak properly. If the pastor were to ask you two weeks from today, what did Larry explain were the three essential relationships for non-Christians? What would you tell him? Pray properly, live properly, speak properly. If the pastor were to ask you three weeks from today, what did I explain about the three essential relationships of nutrition, what would you tell him? Pray properly, live properly, speak properly. If the pastor were to ask you four weeks from today, what did I explain about the three essential relationships with nutrition, what would you tell him? Pray properly, live properly, speak properly. If you were to stand before God right now, he knows. know. <laughs> the point is, in your relationship with the christians pray properly, live properly, and speak properly. And you forever impact those who don't know Christ. If God gave me five minutes. Or one minute. To talk to the entire world. And said what is important in reaching that world for Christ. I wouldn't say nothing other than what he says. And sums up so well. Pray properly. Ask God for the open door. Then you can walk through it. Live properly. Walk in common good sense for those who have not met the Savior. Have no idea what they're missing. And speak properly. Cultivate to get the present wholesome conversation that you may know how audience answer each one, speak properly. What are the three essential relationships for non Christians that I hope you never forget loudly and clearly. What are they? Pray properly, live properly, speak properly. One time here in the Midwest, there was an angelist who had a crusade. And many people were coming to Christ. A woman attended with her two teenage sons. Although they were there with three each night, they showed no interest in spiritual things. So one day, the woman approached the evangelist and she said, I'd like to know why so many are coming to Christ and my sons have no interest of any kind. He proceeded to ask her a few questions. He said, have you asked God to give you the opportunity to speak to them? She confessed that not only has she not done that, but she even harbored an attitude. Even God could not save them. He said, well, if you tried to live and talk in such a way, we'd commend the Savior to him." She confessed not only had she not done that, but she had a very bitter attitude towards them because of things they had done to her. So God gave him the love and the courage to say to her, then could I suggest, the reason your sons are unsaved is probably because of you. A comment through her down her heart decided to do something about it. She began to pray that God would give her a chance to talk to them. And she began to live and talk in such a way that would make the Savior attracted to them. One morning she came downstairs and they were a bit more somber than usual and for that reason seemed more open than usual. She them, she said, I did not sleep well last night. And I don't think I ever will until I know, as a family, we will be together in heaven because that's what I want more than anything else. That comment through their heart as well. And much later, at two different times, both of them came to the Savior. Now, that's not to say for the unsaved children it's because the parents did not live for Christ. That's not true. But it is the same. In our relationship with non-Christians we need to pray properly. Live properly. Speak properly. And you're making a forever difference in those who have never met the Lord and have no idea who they're missing. So for the sake of Christ for the sake of the lost and for the sake of your own reward When you see Jesus face to face, I beg you, do three things. What are they together again? Pray Pray properly, live properly, and speak properly. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? This morning, as our heads throughout, our eyes are closed. First of all, I'm aware there could be some here who've never met the Savior. It's hard to talk about Christ if you never come to Christ. The Bible makes the Gospel very clear. You come as a sinner, recognize Christ died your rose, trust in Him alone as your only way to heaven. The moment you trust in Christ as your only way to heaven, you're in search of heaven as though you're already there. In a moment, I'm going to pause. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, just tell God in your own words, I'm a sinner, but your son died for me today, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Just tell God in your own words. And right there in that seat, God will give you the free gift of eternal life. So if you've never come to Christ, want to come right now, take this moment and come to Him. Now today, if you sincerely trust to Christ, having never understood it before, having never come to Him, if you give me your name and address on any sheet of paper you have, I'll send you as my gift and encouragement to you, our devotional called 31 Days of Living as a New Believer, to help you start growing as a Christian. It's exciting to come to Christ, even more exciting to grow as a Christian. So if this morning, having never understood it before, you trusted Christ and you meant it. Give me your name on a sheet of paper and your address. I'll send you as my gift to you. 31 days of living as a new believer. And if you're here now and you have trust in Christ at some time in the past, what about your life? Do you pray for God to give you an open door? Are you living the life you should to make Christ attractive to them? What kind of reputation does your tongue have? Whatever's going to be different after today, don't tell me. Tell God right now. Then I see it in a sense become an altar. Right now, you meet with the Lord as a believer. Tell Him what's going to be different. Are you praying properly? Living properly? Speaking properly? Our gracious Father, because You love so deeply, He speaks so directly. And thank You, Lord, for putting in words all of us can understand, relate to, and can change our lives. Lord, I pray as a result of this morning, the non-Christians who've never met You have no idea who they're missing. Might be brought to You as because of what happened in the lives of those who do know You. As we pray properly. Live properly and speak properly. For we ask in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.